0: Nate, can you stay up here for one second? Let's have a question for this young man. How many of you ever heard Nate Grower play at a venue somewhere? Uh, yeah. Wow, he is superb. But did you enjoy that violin solo? Yes. It was excellent. So this young man and his band are playing in Easton, Maryland in September, I believe, right? Uh, yeah. I yeah. was <laughs> No, no, you, I'm not, yes is a good answer. But uh, I called to make, I called to get tickets, and I said, they said, where do you want to sit? And I said, I'd like to sit right up front. He said, you might not want to, because after his violin solos, he tends to smash the violin, and you might not want to be up front. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be right up front. So you smash that violin after your solo buddy in Easton, all right? We appreciate you. All right, I'm messing things up. So, all right, I have a, Before we get started, do you notice I'm dressed a little differently this morning? All right, so I'm dressed for VBS, so here's how it went. Here's why I'm the only one dressed for VBS today. (laughs) Last year, I think the theme was the tropics or something, and everybody had their Hawaiian shirts on, and I did not. And I felt like a loser. I felt like, oh, I'm not supporting VBS. So this year, what's the theme? Australia, Outback, so I I dressed like this. I said to my wife, I'm going to show support for the the little children. Who doesn't love the little children? I love the little children. So I come here this morning, and I'm the only one wearing this outfit. And uh, so it gets better. So my wife greets me at the door back there at the church lobby and says, Oh, Josh has your VBS shirt in the car. So what VBS shirt? Oh, the one you were supposed to wear today. It's what everybody's wearing today. So my son apparently had it in the car for quite a while and was supposed to give it to me and tell me not to dress up for VBS, but here I am, dressed up, <laughs> dressed up for your good pleasure. The worst part is, all right, so this is the best I could do for a costume, right? I'm not talented, I'm not skilled, but but I mean, would you get would you put VBS together without back? No? Oh, come on. Seriously, you're shaking your heads no. I got Amish Farmer, I got I got fishermen. Come on, it's VBS, it's Outback. I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm just a little sad. (laughs) Just a little. All right, it was great to have the Kidner boys. And most of all, boys, we appreciate your service to us through the armed forces. Thank you. (laughs) What's that, Gertrude? An Australian joke you want? That's why I love Gertrude sitting up front. So here's my best. How many of you have been in Alana in the church here? All right, so you should know this Australian related joke. What do you call a boomerang that doesn't come back? I know Tim knows this one. Tim, don't put up your hand. It's called a stick. <laughs> there you go, Gertrude. That's, that's for you. There you go. All right, we're in John chapter 19 this morning, church. John chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 16. We're in the last hours of the life of Christ. We've been on a fairly long journey. And this is an interesting, very interesting place to be because as you see the title of the sermon there is called Jesus in the Middle. And I've always been fascinated by this passage in John 19 um, that describes Jesus as being in the middle. It says this, finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Church, I hope you know and are well aware that at this church we believe that every word of the Bible is inspired. God places the words where they need to be and he chooses what the words need to tell us. There's something fascinating about this line that there was one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Some of your Bibles may say in the midst. Same word, mesos, Jesus in the middle. It's the same word that's used when Jesus Christ says where two or three or more of you are gathered, I am in your midst. I'm in the middle is what he's saying there. So this has always fascinated me because there must be a meaning behind this. So as I was studying through chapter 19, God said to me, uh, John, he didn't say it verbally. He he talks to me like he talks to you through prayer. He said, look at how the people react to Jesus being in the middle of their lives throughout this chapter. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at how people react to Jesus being in their midst in this chapter. And I think it's very interesting, and I'm going to tell you what the challenge is that I'm going to give you at the end of this message. I'm going to ask you at the end of this message, what are you doing with Jesus Christ? If he is indeed in the middle of your life, what are you doing with him? All right? That's going to be your challenge at the end of this. So let's take a look at how some others reacted as they found Jesus Christ in their midst. First one, Pilate. Pilate answered, I have written what I have written. Pilate answered, deal with it. I'm not changing a thing. This is what I've done. You live with it. When I was studying the Bible early in my life, I don't know, I don't know if you felt the same, but I always had a soft spot for Pilate. Well, I always thought, hey, this guy's trying to let Jesus go but the religious leaders will not let him do it. But he's trying his best because he must, in his heart of hearts, be a pretty decent guy. You ever thought that about, Pilate? Yes. All right, well, get that thought out of your head. <laughs> Take it right out, because he's really, he's really not a decent guy. Well, let's talk about it, Robin. So Pontius Pilate was the, the ruler of Judea. He was given that power by Tiberius Caesar, the second emperor of Rome. And that's not what you would call an honor, to rule the Jewish people. It's sort of on the lower rung of places that you could rule. Why? Well, the Jews were considered a rebellious people, a rambunctious people, a people no one wanted to rule, a people that did not want to be ruled. If anybody didn't want to be ruled, it was the Jews. They wanted to have their own laws, their own religious ceremonies, and Rome would, by and large, let people do that. But these people kept pushing the limit, and Pilate did not like them he also hated the fact that he had to co-rule to some degree with the religious leadership. He had to co-rule the people with Caiaphas. Yes, he was the power. Caiaphas did report to him, but Caiaphas would guarantee that the people wouldn't rebel and Caiaphas would get what he wanted from Pilate. Well, why why didn't Pilate want the people to rebel? Because they had already rebelled several times. Pilate would prick them he would goad them. Uh, once he brought uh, and, uh, pictures of Caesar and put them all over Jerusalem because Caesar is God. The Jews were outraged. Well, why did he do it? Just to outrage them and make them mad and make them angry. That's the kind of thing he did. But things started to get so out of hand in Judea that Tiberius Caesar said, Pilate, You got to settle these people down. If there's another uprising, I'm going to remove you and you will lose all the power that you have. Well, Pilate didn't want to lose his power. Who would want to lose their power? That's all he had. So he had to keep the Jews happy, but he also still hated them. His wife warned him, didn't she? She said, husband... Pi Pi. I don't know if that's what she called him. I don't know. Have nothing to do with this innocent man, Jesus. She said, "This innocent man, Jesus, have nothing to do with him. It's nothing but trouble." Nothing but trouble. So Pilate had his own self-interest in heart with Jesus. He didn't just buy that Jesus uh, was too nice to be crucified or hurt or harmed or killed. But his wife warned him that if you have anything to do with this man, it is going to be severe trouble for you. So he had her in one ear saying that, and he had the Jews in the other ear saying crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said, I don't want to deal with this. What did he do, church? He sent him to Herod. He sent Jesus Christ to Herod. And how do I know Pilate is not the nicest person that we've ever met? He sends him to Herod. And what does Herod do? Herod embarrasses Jesus. uh, Herod puts a robe on him, a royal robe. But it also says that Herod has the soldiers beat Jesus in the head with rods. Beat him in the head with rods. And then he sends him back to Pilate. Interesting thing. In, in Luke, the Bible tells us before Herod did that Pilate and Herod were enemies. But after Herod humiliated and beat Jesus, beaten Jesus, they were friends. Herod became a friend of Pilate that day. He's no man to feel sorry for. He became a friend of the man who beat and mocked Jesus Christ. Why did Herod do these things? Why did Herod please the Jewish leadership who wanted Jesus crucified? Why was Pilate happy that Herod beat Jesus and embarrassed him and mocked him? Was it because Herod thought that Jesus was God? No. Herod didn't want Caiaphas to be displeased. Herod crucified Jesus so the Jews would not rise up so that Pilate would not lose his position. That's why Pilate crucified Jesus. So Jesus was in the middle of Pilate's life. And how did Pilate respond? When Pilate looked at Jesus, he saw his power in jeopardy. He saw his authority at risk. And though Jesus was in his midst, Pilate said, my power is more important than this man's life. My power is more important than the Son of God. So church, that was Pilate's perspective when Jesus was in the middle of his life. Power was more important. There were other people there. As Jesus hung in the middle between two criminals on a cross, there were other people there. The soldiers were there, weren't they? Certainly the soldiers were there. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Now, if you read this flow in the Greek language, church, you get the idea in the English, but maybe not as clear. They, they, were, they were yelling insults at him. Hail, King of the Jews! Hail, King of the Jews! And they were one by one walking up to Jesus and slapping him in the face. Then the next man, as they all ridiculed, would walk up and slap him in the face. And the next man, and the next man. Hail, king of the Jews. Now he was already bloodied and beaten. Herod sent him to Pilate. In John 19, verse 1, Pilate scourged him till the soldiers were tired. He's bloodied with a crown of thorns and now they put the robe on him and are slapping him in the face. Isaiah 52 tells us, church, that he was so marred, he was almost unrecognizable as a human being. He was so beaten and bloodied that you would not recognize him. I don't say that to be sensational, but I say that so that we know what our Christ went through to pay for our sins. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. The undergarment, the one that was underneath the outer garment, obviously. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Church, what did it say above the cross where Jesus was crucified? It said king, didn't it? Another interesting thing here, this is a Garment that was one piece, a one-piece garment. Why is that important? Because if you were poor, if you didn't have money, you would have a, a patchwork garment made of many pieces of material, and they would be sewn together to form the undergarment. Jesus Christ was wearing a garment that was seamless. This was something a wealthy man would wear. It was perfect. Who else would wear a seamless garment in Israel church? The priest. The priest, so here our king, acknowledged by Pilate, is wearing the garments of a priest. What is Jesus, church? Prophet, priest, and king. On the cross he also became a prophet. What did he prophesy on the cross? He turned to one of the criminals and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Prophet, priest, and king hanging on a tree but they cast lots for this garment because it had value. I said to my wife last night because I struggle, I don't just read past verses and I can't just let them go and this bothered me because you know, you know. do you think this garment was crisp and white? They put this garment on him after he was scourged, after he was beaten in the head with rods, after a crown of thorns was thrust upon his head and those thorns were three to four inches long. Do you think this was a white garment after they put it on his shoulders? No, church, this was a bloodied rag of a garment to some degree. Why did these soldiers want it? They could make money off it. They could make money off it. They know there was, they knew there was people who thought this man was Messiah. Even if they couldn't sell it to them, they could just sell, because this is a big show, folks. This is a big show. Pilate's involved, Caiaphas is involved. They could sell this garment, or maybe they could have it dyed red and sell it to to someone who who sells garments and, 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 and sell it for a good price. Maybe that's why they didn't want to cut it up. Their motives were materialistic, church. Roman soldiers were doing this, following orders so they could keep their jobs and so they could make money. It didn't matter that Jesus was in their midst. It didn't matter that the Son of God was in their very presence. They were worried about keeping their jobs, materialism, making money. That was important to them. Making a living was more important than the Christ being in their midst. Let's not tear it, they said. They said to one another, let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. That's what soldiers do. He's approaching from the right. I'm going to come out in a minute, but I'm not going to. See, this happened in the last... Thing. Oh, thank you, I appreciate that. You're, you're very kind. So Andy said to me after the last message, hey, John, your, your mic was flopping. I thought that was a young people's turn for a great message. I thought that was like a... I thought, yeah, man, my mic was flopping. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's how I roll. <laughs> All right, let's get back to this because this is actually very important. That bottom line. So that's what the soldiers did. That's what they do. That's what people who want to keep making a living, that's what people who want to keep, keep making money, that's what they do. They do what they got to do. It doesn't matter that Jesus Christ is in the middle. It doesn't matter that this world-changing event is taking place in front of them. However, it will matter a little bit later to the soldiers those who loved him, they were there. Some of them were in the middle. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her home into his home. I preached on this recently so I don't want to rehash material too deeply but this you can't not repeat something like this here are people who spent three years of ministry with Jesus Christ where do they find themselves at the crucifixion at the cross Jesus is still in the middle of their lives they didn't run they didn't hide they were there looking up to the Savior. I recently bought some flowers. My wife will tell you that I'm not a great gardener, but I find joy and relief of stress in gardening. Plants. I'm not a fruit grower, or I've tried that, I just can't do it. But I bought these plants, and there's these beautiful flowering plants, they have these great flowers on them. But when I planted them, I noticed something weird. At night, they would all bend over and sort of seem to shrivel up. And I thought, oh, no, they're dying. Well, the next day, they would pop up when the sun came out, and they would be beautiful flowers again. And the next night, they would wither away. And then when the sun came out, they would pop up. I said to my wife, "What what a great picture of what's happening here. Here is the sun. Everyone else has left him. But when, a sun, when the sun appears, these people reach for him, no matter what the situation, no matter what the danger. When the sun appears, that gives them life that gives them light, that helps them flourish. They move towards the sun, they keep focused on the sun. He gives them their strength, he gives them their energy. So now every time, church, I look at those flowers, I think, I wanna be like those plants. I wanna always, when I'm in the sun, be striving for him, reaching for him, reaching out to him, wanting to have him in the center of my life. Because, church, there were others who were not at the cross. Where was Peter? Where was James? Where was Thaddeus? They left. They had Jesus in the middle for three and a half years. And here, when he could use them the most, they were nowhere to be found. He was in the middle, and they moved away. How could you move away from such a man as this, who, who as he hung on the cross in excruciating pain, in disfigurement, in, in suffering, in humiliation, in shame. Church, do you know the height of the shame? Do, do, you remember, do you remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Remember Adam and Eve? When they lost the glory of God, what happened to Adam and Eve? They discovered that they were naked, didn't they, church? They discover that before a holy God, they were naked. They were worthless. And what, what, what feeling did that produce in them? It says that they were ashamed. They were ashamed because they no longer reflected the glory of a holy God. Do you relate that to the cross, church? When Jesus was on the cross, do you know he was naked on the cross? I'm sorry if that offends some of you, but that's how you were crucified. And the Bible tells us the cross was the ultimate shame. Jesus bore the shame for you and I. When he was on the cross, naked like Adam, he was exposed before a holy God, not because of his own sin, church, but why? Because of our sin, he was naked and exposed and ashamed. He bore our shame, just like Adam bore his shame. Because now before a holy God, Jesus Christ, was nothing but sin. Nothing but sin. He could have used a few friends and he had only a few. Everybody else left. The Father. Those of you who have been in the church for a long time, you know that the Garden of Gethsemane was not about Jesus Christ not wanting to be scourged, it was not about him not wanting nails to be driven into his ankles or his forearms. It was not about that. Sure, that, that wasn't something he looked forward to, but you and I both know, church, that the pain of the cross was the separation that would occur between the Father and the Son as the Father poured out his wrath on the Son. And there became that separation between the Father and Son that had never occurred and never will occur again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out. Why? Because his father turned his back on him because he was nothing but a shameful sinner hanging on the cross, not because of his sin, but because of yours and mine. And he did it willingly. He did it willingly. And that was the pain. But at the height of that pain, before he cried that out, I will never let this pass if I teach this verse. What did he do, church? He looked down to his mother and he said, John, take care of my mother. At the height of his pain, he looked to the needs of someone else. Do you and I do that, church? Do you and I, at the height of our struggles, do we still have the ability to look around and say, that person needs me, even though I'm hurting? That is Christ. That is Christ. But the father, did the father remove himself from this whole picture because he had to turn his back on his son? Did the father somehow vacate his duties as a father? Did the father somehow say, son, we are done, we are over, this is it, you bore their sin, I'm walking away, of course not, church, we know, we know that's not the case. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses. During the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. Vipers, serpents, hypocrites. We can't ruin our Sabbath, so break the legs of these people we are crucifying so that we can enjoy a good meal so that we can enjoy the Passover and we can, we can worship God in peace. Kill the Messiah quickly so that we can go on with our lives. The absurdity of it, church. The absurdity. Do it quickly. But I love what happened next. Hey, church, what was it like there? So, so Jesus was crucified. He was crucified outside the city walls. He was crucified alongside of a road. Golgotha was alongside of a road. Why? Why? Because as people would come and go from the city, they first of all didn't want crucifixions in the city. They wanted to defile the city. But as people would come and go from the city, they would pass by and they would see these naked people beaten and bruised hanging on the cross. And they would laugh at them or mock them or shake their head at them. Or if they were family members or they knew them, they would sympathize with them and have empathy for them. The cross was only about 12 feet at its peak from the ground to the top, about 12 feet. Your feet were probably about three feet off the ground. They would leave you hanging there so that the jackals could eat your feet. That was another step of the humiliation because you would basically take days to die. So let the jackals eat their feet. Let's totally, totally make this the worst experience that it can possibly be. The soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man So there was the first man, criminal. There was Jesus. And then there was the second criminal. Why does this happen? The soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man. They used a mallet. They would crush their legs with a mallet. That way the person couldn't lift themselves up to get air into the lungs. They would die. They would suffocate. They broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. So what did the soldiers do? They broke the legs of the first criminal and what did they do, church? They passed by Jesus and they broke the legs of the other. Why? Do you ever think about why? Why not just do it in order? Well, because Jesus' cross was higher than the other two. No, that's a picture. This is reality. You know why they walked past him? They were afraid. What does the Bible tell us happened after Jesus cried out, it is finished? Church, there was an earthquake that shook Jerusalem. The Bible tells us in Matthew that there were actually people who rose from the dead. And you know what the soldiers exclaimed when they experienced that earthquake? They said, surely this is the Son of God. Now, some of them said that. Others said, this was a righteous man. I'm sure there are others who didn't believe it at all, but they were afraid to break his legs. But you know who really didn't want them to break Jesus Christ's legs? It was the Father. You know, the Father said, I'm giving you my son. I'm giving you all I have. I'll let you crucify him. I'll let you beat him with rods. I'll let you put thorns on his head. I'll let you smack him in the face. I'll let you rip out his beard but I'm not gonna let you break his legs. Now church, that may seem like a small thing, but it's not. You can go so far, but you can't go that far. Why was that important? Because church, Jesus gave his life willingly. He didn't need his legs broken. He had already died. He decided when he would commend his spirit to the Father. The Father decided when Jesus would take his last breath. But the Father also said, You have humiliated my son long enough. You will not break his legs. Why, church? Because in Exodus 12, the Passover, leg, Passover lamb would not have its bones broken. And Jesus was our Passover lamb. But there was the Father. Isaiah 50, I love love this. This gets overlooked when we look at the messianic passages in Isaiah. So please, write this down. (laughs) Isaiah 50. This is from the perspective of Jesus Christ. The sovereign Lord has, oh, let me tell you why I I put this up there. I guess it's kind of important that I tell you why I'm talking about things, I guess. Jesus Christ was scourged for us. In John 19, verse one, Pilate had Jesus Christ scourged The Bible tells us that by his stripes, church, we are healed. Now, certainly that means healed through salvation. But by his suffering, church, there is another meaning how we are healed. By seeing his suffering, church, there is another way that we find healing. And the word for healing can also be interpreted as wholeness. We can find wholeness by observing his scourging. Isaiah. So with that context, keep in mind this is Jesus Christ in a messianic passage. So the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue. Here the sovereign Lord's referring to the Father. To know the word that sustains the weary. So the Father has given the Son the word to know What sustains the weary? He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed, like my flowers in the garden, church. When Jesus Christ woke every morning, he thrust himself up toward the Father so that he could be instructed on how the weary can be sustained. The sovereign Lord has opened my eyes. I have not been rebellious. Jesus never sinned. I have not turned away, even though I've struggled in the garden. I'd never turned away from you, Lord. Now listen to this, church. I offered my back to those who beat me. I was scourged. My cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. The father never left the son. Therefore, How does Jesus deal with the pain, the difficulty of suffering, the difficulties that life has brought him? How does he deal with it? I will not be disgraced, therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. To set your face like flint means that you are unmovable, church. And where did he set his face toward? Each morning he would rise up and greet the Father from whom he got instruction on how to get through times of difficulty. Like Flint. But what do you mean you will not be put to shame? That's what the cross is all about. What do you mean you will not be put to shame? You were put to shame. You were put to shame by the soldiers, by Pilate, by Caiaphas, by God the Father. That was temporary. He who vindicates me is near. I was put to shame for a time. I was put to shame for the glory that lay before me. I was put to shame, but the Father never left me. He will vindicate me. When Jesus was on the cross church, what else did he cry? He cried out, Tetelestai. It is finished, and that word means it is all paid for. It's an accounting term. They used it in accounting among the Jews, "Die!" It was all paid for, your sin and mine. So that brings us to the last group of people who were there in the midst of Jesus during this time, the criminals, church. One on the left one on the right. We have to read the other gospels to find out a little bit more detail. But we know that when both were crucified, one to the left and one to the right of Jesus, they were hurling insults at him. They were jeering him. If you're the king, do something about this mess we're in. Here, the soldiers, they're yelling, save yourself, save yourself. But what do we know about One of the criminals, what happened to one of the criminal's hearts? He changed his mind. And Jesus said to the one who changed his mind, he prophesied, today you will be with me in paradise. That thief, that criminal, with Jesus in his midst, gave his life to Christ on that cross. Now that is absolute evidence, church, that you do not have to do any good works to be saved. What good work could that thief do? Nothing. He was nailed to a cross. Salvation comes from faith in the shame, suffering, and blood that Jesus shed for us. There is no other way to be saved, church. There is no amount of goodness that you can perform to equal the goodness of our Christ. None. It is all as filthy rags. But faith isn't just saying, yes, I believe and everything's good. No. Faith, church, is humbling yourself. It's bowing the knee and saying, I put my trust in in you, Jesus Christ, and I will live for you. It's saying, I believe you are God, you are Lord. And church, you cannot say to somebody you are Lord and not be committing yourself to that person. The very word itself, Lord, means power, authority. That thief on that cross gave his life to Christ. So, I asked you, church, I told you what the ending was going to be. I only slightly lied. The Lord will forgive me because I have two questions. When you were born again, do you remember those days when you were first born again? Where was Jesus in your life? He was in the middle. He was in the middle. He was sweet. I'm sorry, that's the term the, the young pastors use, sweet. It was though, wasn't it? it was sweet jesus was in the middle there's nothing nothing that made me happier than pleasing him than being with him than talking about him than telling my family about him and then what happened over the years church power crept in i like power i like authority materialism crept in i like good things i like cars i like houses Jesus got pushed a little bit out of the center, slowly, little bit by little bit. Something happened to me that I didn't like. That wasn't supposed to happen to me as a Christian. Somebody got cancer. And that wasn't supposed to happen because I'm a Christian. That's not the way the Christian life is, church. That's not the way the Christian life is. Look what happened to Jesus. Look what happened to Jesus. But church, his hope wasn't in this world, was it? What helped him endure the shame? What lay before him in the world to come? Be with the cross today, church, but soon we're going to be looking at the resurrection. The resurrection of the Christ. So my question for you believers is, where is Jesus Christ in your life? Is he in the middle. Or has he been pushed to the periphery? You answer that question yourself. For those of you here who are unbelievers this morning, you are a thief hanging on the cross just like we were those of us who are now believers. You are a thief hanging on a cross, you are a criminal. You are a criminal in God's eyes, you are sinful. You're falling short of his goal and his holiness. There's no way for you to restore your relationship with God by being good because God is perfect, God is holy, God knows no sin, you will always know sin. Therefore, the relationship is fractured The only way that you can restore that relationship with God is through his son, Jesus Christ, who bore your sin and shame on the cross. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. He gives you his holiness. And then once again, we can stand before our father with the righteousness of Jesus covering our sin. And not only covering a church, but removing it as far as the east is from the west. If you're, not here this, if you're here this morning and you do not believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is in the middle. He's why you're here today. Jesus Christ is in the middle of history. We judge time by Jesus Christ, BCAD. You have to make a decision at some point what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. So I pray if anybody here this morning does not know Jesus Christ, that you will give your life this very day to him and accept him as your savior and say, I'm not good enough. I want his righteousness. I want his love. I wanna be covered by him. All right, church. I'm gonna pray. The Kinder boys are gonna come up and bless us and Nate. No violin smashing, Nate, after your solo, all right? They're going to come up and bless us with a, a postlude. You're free to go, but if you want to stay and listen to the postlude, stay in your seats and, and listen to the, to the group play more once again. But let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for, oh, I thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, I thank you for your salvation. Lord, help us keep Jesus Christ in the middle. And Lord, if he has moved away from us, I pray that we bring him back or that we bring ourselves back to where he is. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning who is not saved, I would pray that you would touch their hearts and let them know that their sin can be forgiven, that they can have a relationship with you, and that it is only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that reconciliation can occur. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.